0: London is not just some city. Its spirit stands outside of time. Certain places have influenced its citizens. It is not only a setting, but a presence, a character in various films, novels and poems. My name is Philip Rutgers, and I search for London's spirit. I think There are two particular ways to explore the powerful and mysterious place that is London Through literature and through walking Follow me into a secret world Follow me to London beyond time and place In this series I will explore its spirit by walking the city and talking to London enthusiasts I invite you to join me Together we will discover London beyond time
1: And place. This is
0: talks beyond time and place. Hello, everybody. To talks beyond time and place. My name is Philip Redgas, and my guest today is Mr. Stephen Coates. This this side. Uh, Welcome, Stephen.
1: Oh, hello, Philip, and thank you for inviting me. Yeah, to time and space. space. I love time and space. So.
0: Yeah, I know. I know. I, I I knew that you that you liked the topic, so it was just a matter of time uh, that I ask you to to join me to uh, on one of the episodes. So uh, I'm going to introduce you a little bit uh, for those of you of my viewers who don't know you, which I think there are very few, but still I'm going to do it. So uh, Stephen is a composer, a music producer, a broadcaster, a writer, a lover of London, and rare stories that move people. Uh, And he's also the founder of the London band, The Real Tuesday World, and he composed scores for documentaries, TV shows, short films, animations, art installations, uh, and commercial spots. And he's also the founder of the arts company Antique Beat, and I think it is fair to say that Stephen is kind of a legend. So, uh, as I said, it's very good to have you here today, and maybe we can start a bit uh, with you telling us. Just a bit about yourself and maybe the real Tuesday world and uh, yeah just a short introduction if that's possible <laughs> uh, from yourself. Yeah,
1: thanks. Uh, sure, thanks Philip. that's that made me sound very busy. Um, <laughs> so yeah, so I, th- I think my day job for years really has been musician and uh, that includes as you said, um, you know, composition for films and documentaries and all sorts of other stuff that's been going on for a long time with regard to The Real Tuesday World, which had been my band for 20 years, you know, and I've uh, put out lots of albums and toured uh, with them. That's actually coming to an end. It's an interesting time for me because um, I very deliberately decided to bring that particular thing to uh, a close, which is happening over this year and next year, I'm releasing three final records, doing hopefully doing some final concerts, Covid um and so actually that period's coming to an end and, and the, the reason for that just out of interest is that um you know i i think it was a bit inspired by david bowie actually which is the way that he sort of stage managed his own his own artistic end mm-hmm. because he knew he was dying i'm not dying as far as i'm aware well not more <laughs> than any, not more than anybody else um but uh, i i thought you know this thing that, which i've loved uh, for many years the real tuesday world you know and we've you know with my band members and Uh, we've done all sorts of stuff, it's been a privilege, but I thought I wanted to sort of actually bring it to uh, a a designed close. As a friend said to me yesterday, you wanted to kind of land it land it safely. Because what happens of course with most bands uh, Philip, you know, I'm sure it's the same as lots of people that you like, is that you sort of think, are they still going? You sort of don't know whether they are or they're not. I mean if they break up acrimoniously it's pretty straightforward if they die, you know, it's pretty straightforward, like in Bowie's case. But quite often they just sort of fizzle out. Right. You know? And I didn't want the real truth to, to fizzle out. And it's got to end at some point. I'm going to get knocked over by a bus or whatever, you know. So I thought, let's just end it properly. So that, that's coming to an end. My sort of musical career will carry on by collaborations and working for other people, films and stuff, I hope. Um, And so that's my day job. And then I think really, uh, you know, as you mentioned, we're involved in a lot of other projects which are arts and often music related. Um, And, you know, a lot of those stuff stuff we're going to talk about, London related cultural events. Uh, so really that came out about, uh, run about 2006 after my dad died. Um, we did a, we, I didn't know how to respond to his death. So we actually, I made a record, which is called London Book of the Dead. Uh, and we did an exhibition um, in St. Pancras Old Church. And really it about that time is that when we started to make events about uh, death and London, so all this stuff that's happened since, antique beat stuff, you know, cultural events that came out of that, yeah.
0: Yeah, yeah. but what a combination Death in London is. There's a, there's so much to discover and, and so much to talk about. But yeah, I see what you mean. And I think it's interesting what you just said with the with the bands and, and the music, because quite often, as you say, they you don't really know, uh, is this band still going? Are they still there? And then, I don't know, maybe they they've done an, an album 10 years ago and maybe their last tour was like, Four, five six years ago and then they realize oh we, we we come back and we call it a reunion and you think why is it a reunion you, you didn't really say goodbye and then again an album and, and a tour and then again nothing for quite a few years and then another reunion and you think no this is not <laughs> this is not a reunion
1: i think it's, i think people should be allowed one reunion right yeah, Which is if, yeah if you break up for you know you argue and you fall out or something right. happens and then i think you know maybe I noticed this a few years ago that um Blur, who's a, a band that I've always loved, Blur, right, actually, and um great great band, and they they split up and then they had a reunion which was really emotional. Um, but then they had another one. Yeah. And it was like, whoa, you can't have two <laughs> reunions, or I think it was Stone Roses, wasn't it? That band the Stone Roses, the sort of legendary band who broke up after mm-hmm. took sort of two albums and they had this really emotional kind of reunion and then they kept having reunions and it's like uh, stop that doesn't work
0: right yeah absolutely but i just thought i think um i i read somewhere maybe you you said that in in in, the in one of your spotify uh, not spotify soundcloud soundcloud uh uh, podcasts that the idea for the for the real tuesday world came from you 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 dreamt about the actress right and that's where the name came from and i Mm. thought it would be great if you said now well i dreamt of her again and now i think it's time to to end to end the project that would also well, be. enough
1: it's strange you should mention that right because when uh one of the films that really affected me when i was a kid was this this film called the cincinnati kid and it's a film with steve mcqueen it's a 60s film 60 uh, steve mcqueen it's set in the 40s uh, 30s. Mm-hmm. and um it's steve mcqueen's a gambler in it and actually his girlfriend is tuesday weld and i think that you know for some reason that must have lodged in my brain as a sort of you know young youngster but funny enough i watched it last night oh. and i haven't seen it for years uh and it was quite strange you know there she is on screen tuesday world you know um yeah. and actually it did feel like yeah that's feels like a sort of a sign you know somehow mm-hmm. that, uh, watching this film again after all these years and just as it's gonna end
0: yeah great i also read and i just wanted to ask you that that you also Wrote and produced the original songs for, for LA Noir for the game. Is that, is that right?
1: Yeah, do you know that game? Uh,
0: yes, I do. Uh, I think it was 2011 around that time when it came out. And I'm not a, I don't really play games that way, but I love to, to watch people do it. And I had a friend. Who, who played this game and we just sat in on his couch and he played and i i just sat <laughs> next to him and watched it and, and yeah so i i knew the uh, i knew the the game quite well and i thought oh wow yeah. I've, I've known you for longer than i thought
1: <laughs> yeah well that was that was a, that was a great that was a great thing for me i really enjoyed it but it was a strange one because i got a <clears throat> i got a phone call on um it was Christmas Eve, actually. I got a phone call. I was with my family, and it, I don't normally answer the phone when I'm sort of with 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 the family. Mm-hmm. And um, but I looked at my phone, and it was from Los Angeles, and I thought, hmm, that could be um that could be that could be work. Uh, and I answered the phone, and um, this guy, in a very strong accent, said to me, um, I won't, I won't do his accent, but he said, uh, can you write a song about a 1940s jazz singer who? It's uh, a heroin addict, and she may be also be a pyromaniac.
0: <laughs> <laughs> sure. And
1: I was like, yeah, sure, I can do that. Uh, and actually, so I wrote the songs for the for Noir, which is sort of 1940s style jazz songs, and featuring Elsa, who's the, the main mm-hmm. character. And, um, and that was great. I loved it, actually. It was, it was very interesting for me working, because I'm not a gamer at all. I know nothing about computer games. It was quite interesting. It's very different to work in that industry, it's
0: brutal. Yeah. yeah, yeah, I can imagine. Yeah, right. And uh, I also, be- before we come a bit more to, to the, the London topics, uh, I know that you, and I definitely wanted to mention that that you dealt with the incredible story of bootleg technology uh, in, in Cold War cu- culture and ex- especially yeah, the X-Ray uh, audio. So how did you stumble across that story?
1: Yeah, well, that was really good fortune again for me, which is that um, I've been playing in Russia for the last 15 years, you know, performing in Russia. And um, <clears throat> about seven years ago now, I was, I'd done a show in St. Petersburg, and the day after the show, my Russian friends took us to the flea market just to do some sort of tourist shopping before we came back to back home. And I came across this very strange record on this stall on this flea market and um and I collect strange records um, and I asked my friends my Russian friends about what it what it was and they didn't know what it was, and the guy's stall it was wasn't he was quite grumpy and wasn't <laughs> interested in it so um but I bought it and I brought it back to 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 london and um to try to play it, and it was uh, 78 RPM. That was the first thing I discovered, you know, you drop the needle on the record and, mm. and, and um, it was single-sided. It was like a flexi-disc, what we used to call a flexi-disc. Not, so not, not black vinyl, but sort of floppy. Mm. Uh, the song was um, Rock Around the Clock by Bill Haley, 1957, Bill Haley and the Comets. But the most interesting thing about it, the thing which actually, of course, drew my attention in the first place was that if you held it up to the light, to the window, you saw uh, the image of two skeletal hands on it and it was a a record that had been made on x-ray film. Uh, I didn't know anything about it but I was was so intrigued by it. And I really wanted to find out, you know, who made it, why they made it and how they made it. And um, those sort of three questions have propelled uh, this project which has been going on since And there was a little bit of information about those records on the internet at the time, much of which actually I came to find out wasn't really accurate. Uh, But over a period of the next three years, whenever I was in Russia, um, I was was digging, trying to find out more. I was really fortunate that Maxim Kravchinsky, who is a Russian academic, introduced me to a guy who used to cut these records Mm -hmm. in the 50s and 60s. And of course, the reason that they existed was that a huge amount of culture music art uh well all sorts of culture was forbidden censored in the soviet union for ideological reasons um okay. including a lot of popular music and um these records were made by bootleggers what we would call bootleggers they didn't use that word um but it was like an underground production of music forbidden music um people cutting their own records uh, for themselves and to share, as we would say, or to sell, because, you know, to distribute um, of forbidden tunes. And they didn't have access to the usual means of making uh, records, you know, black shell uh vinyl gramophone records that we have. But they were building their own recording machines and they discovered that it was uh, possible to use uh, X-ray film, which is a photographic film, cut into circles and uh, to to engrave the grooves of recorded music onto them yeah um, and this culture grew up it started in leningrad st petersburg where, where i find this record uh and it, and it spread uh, throughout the soviet union for about 20 years uh, it existed for about 20 years like an underground bootleg record culture so i spent you know uh, i've spent a lot of time over the last five six seven years researching this story yeah um making work about it we've got a uh, we made a BBC documentary we made a film about it and um, wrote a book about it which is uh, came out and I've got a new book coming out end of this year called oh. Bone Music uh, about it and like an illustrated history of the x-ray underground okay. and uh, it's been an ongoing fascinating project you know uh, yeah. in all history yeah
0: okay sorry that was a very
1: long explanation no that was you.
0: that was fine that was fine so you're going to have to send me the title again and I'm going to insert it down here so that people know that your book's coming out. Yeah. This
1: year? This year? It's coming out at the end of this year, a uh, Stranger Tractor. It's called Bone Music. Yeah.
0: Bone yeah. Music. Okay. So you've heard him and I'm going to, as I said, I'm going to insert it down here so people can, can pre-order it and, and have, it, have it already in there. Yeah. In front of them. So Stephen, uh, are you a born Londoner?
1: i'm not actually you know i come from the north of england i come from um, just outside manchester sort of um, uh, in lancashire yeah
0: yeah i find this quite often i mean of course i'm not a born born Londoner too i'm, I'm from germany yeah, sure. but <laughs> I, I sometimes sometimes i think I, I say no what i wanted to say was um i often find this that you know the people sometimes i think the people that are most interested in london are the ones that, that weren't born there but they, they came from the outside well i think that's
1: true and i i I would say that's that's really interesting and i think that you know uh because i i I spoke to ian sinclair about this um you know the 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 he he is welsh obviously i know yeah um and of course you know his take on it is is that if you come to london from the outside you obviously you you see in a different way it's not that londoners people are born in london don't love learn Mm. you know write about their that the the, the the city they do of course william blake you know peter P- P- record and uh, uh michael moorcock but i think people like you like me who come from the outside we we maybe we fall in love with the city or we yeah. have a romantic view of the city which yeah. allows us to explore it in a different sort of way
0: definitely yeah one of my guests uh he was a born on uh, a tour guide called david charnick and he said uh i don't i don't uh like London, I don't lo- love London like a lover. I love it like a brother, and I think maybe that's the difference for many Londoners and, and for people who come from the outside. I think maybe this is it already shows the the difference. But I think that's, it's interesting. That's, ter- that's
1: yep. terrific. That's terrific. Yeah. Yeah. yeah,
0: yeah. But I often think um, what you just said when I said I wasn't born in London. You said, "Are you sure?" I. Um, this is yeah. This is basically the 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 basis for for what I always try to find out a bit and, and talk about with uh, with people is um why why do people feel drawn to a certain place why do, do few people drawn to a certain area and and i often uh, I say when when people ask me why why are you so i don't know so fascinated about london and i, I have a very strong yeah i'd say connection to 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 the east end to spitalfields whopping Whitechapel. this area this is i i don't know why but this is the area where i feel most most home, most drawn to, mm-hmm. and um, I, when people ask me, I often say, "Oh, maybe I lived there in a former life." But I've said it so often that I think it may, probably it's true. <laughs> if you believe in these things or not, but yeah.
1: Well, you know what's interesting? What's interesting about that? You, those specific areas that you mentioned, of course, because they've always been areas in the city um, that have been populated by different communities of immigrants. Right. right? Yeah. You know, um, all sorts of them, Huguenots. You know, Jewish people, people from people from China. You know, I mean, yeah. um, uh, as well as more recently Bengalis and you know people from Bangladesh, Bengals. Um, you know, Irish people. So it is those areas in particular, aren't they, the East End? They're, they're actually, you know, and what is London in some way but a but a but a city of of immigrants, you know?
0: Yeah, absolutely, absolutely, yeah. But I think you're also known as the as the kid, right? So mm-hmm. what is your connection to to
1: Right. So what happened with me? And um, I'm going to get a bit, I'm going to warn you now, I'm going to get a bit mystical, right? Oh, wonderful. um, I, you know, because I've talked about this before, I had a sort of very strong experience, which is that um, I I went, I spent four months in a Buddhist monastery in Spain, uh, deep, you know, in deep sort of spiritual work um trying to get enlightened and when i came back to the city um to to london this is four months of l- largely silence actually and when i came back to the city i came back to the end of a romantic relationship and it actually uh so and i so it, i went from this kind of height of uh, sort of spiritual elevation <laughs> to the depths of uh, romantic despair in a very short period of time uh and this coincided with me uh with what I would call the um, anthropomorphization of the city.
0: Mm-hmm. So
1: the city became, uh, during that sort of break up, break down, breakthrough, whatever you want to call it, uh, the city became much more meaningful as a, as a place, I suppose in a psychogeographic way. I mean, psychogeography is a very interesting word for me because geography means place, you could say psycho means spirit, spirit of the place, but mm-hmm. Psyche is also, you know, psychology, it's soul. So for me, psychogeography at that time meant the soul of the place. Uh, so the city itself became very meaningful. My kind of dream life went nuts. My behavior went nuts. Uh, and th- that was the time when I became very interested in um, the underground rivers. I know there's been obviously a become very much uh, more on the surface these days. But at that time, nobody really talked about that stuff. And I managed to, uh, this is quite a long time ago now, I managed through a process of bluffing and lying to persuade Thames Water to take me down the fleet. Wow. Um, And this is over 20, this is 20 years ago now. And um, I basically lied to them. That's that's the truth of it. I said that I was a Sunday Times journalist writing a piece about um, London sewers, (laughs) etc. Sometimes Um, it's okay to do that. (laughs) I felt so at the time. <laughs> I felt justified in my behavior. Um, so they took me down there, and um, so I had this whole thing in, in the fleet sewer. It's just a sewer, it's not a river. Let's, let's, let's not forget that.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, and then we emerged. I emerged with this gang of sewermen. It was an extraordinary experience for me, and we emerged in Clarkamale. You know, up river, up sewer. Mm-hmm. Um, you, know, you know, the fleet flows down through from Hampstead down through uh, uh, King's Cross and down through mm-hmm. uh, you know, and Clarkamale and Blackfriars. Um, And really this had a very powerful effect on me about about the area. So at that time I was living in Notting Hill. So I decided that I needed to live as near to the Fleet River as possible. So I moved to Clerkenwell and I lived in an old building, which is right above the Fleet, actually. Um, And so I was still going a bit nuts at the time. Um, And, or was it nuts? or I don't know, I'm not sure. Anyway, but uh, so really that turned into a very kind of creative time about writing music and writing stuff and getting deep into kind of psychogeography. So um, I had this encounter in the middle of the night in Smithfields in a cafe with this guy. um, And which afterwards I wasn't doesn't quite know whether it had happened because I was an insomniac at the time. I didn't know whether I actually met this guy or Mm -hmm. I dreamt or something. And and, um, this guy was this person called the Clark and my kid. And then afterwards, I sort of took it on as a persona. Did I or did it take me on? I'm not sure. It, well, one I took it on or he took me on, I'm not sure. Um, and so it became a kind of character that I sort of uh, uh, inhabited um, and a sort of way of dealing with uh, the creative life in London and, yeah. um, and also investigating Clerkenwell. Clerkenwell became a very important area to me, you know. And uh, as you know, it's a wonderful uh, place. Right. In In a, in a, in a, in a sort of historical mythological way right what's been, yeah. what, what's been quite odd for me is that I've written a lot of songs about Clark and Well and written, written a lot of stuff about it and, and uh, quite often people have got in touch people who are not from London people from abroad and they've, they've come to London and like where's Clark and well? you know <laughs> and expecting that there's going to be this kind of Harry Potter-esque sort of world or something and, you know it's difficult to know where it is where it starts where it ends in some yeah. ways it's a very ordinary um a place um so that's part of the story of the and again yeah. yeah
0: and I, it, yeah it is, but it is kind of a spiritual uh, area also with with the with its history a bit with its closeness to to Bloomsbury and all the mystical and, and spiritual stuff that happened there so yeah i I understand what you mean definitely and um, but I, I I often wonder you, you you yeah you felt something when, when you were you, you were there you said, i don't know there's there's some I don't know. Right now this feels right, so I, I need to settle in, in Clarkenwell. So um sometimes I yeah, as I what I already said, I wonder why why people feel you're drawn to certain places. Often I think, yeah, you, you know the history of a place or if you're interested in this or you you know the stories of, of a certain place, you think, yeah, this is this is what i what i experienced too or this is where where the connection comes from but sometimes you you don't know that or maybe you find out later and then you think oh of course it makes perfect sense that i feel connected to this to this area so i think it's just interesting to to see uh yeah the connection between yeah people and and, and places and spaces and and how they they influence each other because i also think yeah, yeah. Let,
1: let me ask you a question philip okay Please. so um do you find the reverse is true too? Do you find, for instance, that you are rather ill disposed to certain areas in in London, um, sometimes without knowing why?
0: Yeah, yeah, I think so. Yes. Uh, um, what what would you say? What, what, is, what is your what is your answer
1: to that? Well, I, I am very much so. For instance, I've I i do not like Fulham or, yeah. or 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 particularly Battersea. I mean, Battersea Park's nice, but I don't like Battersea. I don't like Fulham. And I call them the flatlands. Now, no offence to anybody who lives in Fulham or Ballam, uh, uh, Battersea or Ballam, it's not. I, I mean, it, I, it's not, you know, Fulham's a kind of sort of posh area, but there's something about it. That I call them the flatlands. It's something about it I just feel dispositionally out of tune with. Mm. You know, I don't like going there. Um, it's not about anything particularly to do with the buildings or even the people who live there it's just a kind of instinctive uh, dislike and yeah. I, I don't know what it's based on you know it's really strange but I, it is that in at some level one works intuitively you're right. drawn to certain places in the way I was drawn to Clerkenwell yeah. and you're sort of ill-disposed to other places I'm ill-disposed right. to Fulham don't ask me what I, do you live in no. Fulham no <laughs> oh, <keep checking. laughs> but
0: but I what I I think it's, it's a bit different with me I, there's there's uh, places that I you know that i that I like and that I feel drawn to and and there's there's I don't really know if there's a an area or a place that I don't like it's just that I'm not interested in it you know it's okay. because there's no connection it's just it exists and that's okay but I <laughs> I wouldn't go there if, if there's any need for that or that that's mm-hmm. that's more it it's I don't really know if there's any place where I'd say oh this is really terrible I wouldn't go there but
1: well, have you been I'm to, um, have you been to Park Royal?
0: Hmm?
1: Yeah. Park Royal, Park Royal like Northwest. I mean, yeah. that's a sort of, that's another area that I
0: yeah feel i are
1: supposed to. I don't know why.
0: I I agree. Yeah, absolutely. I, I know what you mean. Um, yeah. Yeah, I, I know exactly what you mean. So, um, you know that I also um, talked to Vanessa Wolfe and, and George Hoyle of London Dreamtime. and. Uh, yeah, sorry?
1: No, of course, yeah, yeah. I saw that, yeah. And Amazing. Then,
0: yeah, and of course, we also talked about the, uh, the Brompton Time Machine, uh, which, which, uh, which is truly a myth <laughs> that goes beyond time and, and place in a way. So, uh, did you ever get to, to enter the quarter tube and travel to time and space?
1: <laughs> well, um, I'm, on, I'm on dodgy ground here. Um, <laughs> I'm not so, oh, what, can I say this publicly now? I don't know. Um, <laughs> well, well I, 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 I I'm sworn, to, I'm, I'm partly sworn to secrecy. Uh, okay. but, but I can say this, is that I have entered the tomb. Okay. Uh, and without wishing to be and really annoying, I know this is going to be annoying, but um, what I can say is that um, we found something extraordinary there. Um, which was quite shocking. But um, I'm not allowed to say anything, which okay. sounds very odd. And why is that? It's just because I promised the person that I was with uh, that I wouldn't say anything at the moment. Um, so I'm, not, I'm really not trying to be sort of elusive, but, but I have entered the tomb. Great. And we, I, well, we were very surprised by what we found.
0: Okay. Yeah, but that's perfectly fine. Great. Good answer. I like that. <laughs> will, will we find out someday, or is it going to? be Yeah, I think TikToks so
1: too. In fact, right? I will check. Thanks for reminding me. I will check actually <laughs> to see whether whether I can sort of uh I can reveal. Okay. Uh, uh, the, the truth. There's there's a there's a there's a sort of bit of a backstory to this. Um, and so I'll find out. I will find out. It's probably time that it's kind of out, out and about. Yeah. Maybe. Yeah. Yeah, but-, but I mean that that haunted me for a long time. And of course, in, uh, despite what I said about uh, Fulham, it is on the edge of Fulham, brampton Cemetery. Right. And, um, you know, the, the myth of, of the Brompton time machine and the people involved in that myth, um, you know, is, is a terrific London story, actually. Absolutely. And whether or not you believe in time travel or time machines or not, um, it's an extraordinary uh, coincidence, if you like, of events in time and space, yeah. um, which is okay. still, still kind of reverberating on, I think. Yeah. And of course, let's not forget, and this is important, um, there is another theory, of course, of the Brompton, of the Courtois Muslim, which is that it's part of the London Teleportation Network. Um, yes. <laughs> uh, and it's no coincidence, I think, that if you look at Brompton Cemetery from the air, you will see that the colonnade is laid out like the un- London Underground sign with a line through it in a circle. Uh, and it's no coincidence, in my opinion, Philip, that the one of the fastest ways to get around about London, apart from by teleportation, is on the Brompton cycle uh what else can i say
0: yeah no coincidence definitely yeah um and i think you also have a kind of a connection to the to the magnificent seven but also to in general to victorian cemeteries or cemeteries in general with uh london month of the death uh, death am i right
1: (coughs) yeah yeah, right so what happened so brompton is brompton is one of the magnificent seven you know and um you know, my sort of researches into the cortile mausoleum and the, uh, the time machine uh, was partly prompted by the fact that we started to do work in the cemeteries. And so Antique Beat is my uh, sort of arts events company. And I work with uh, Suzette, my curating partner, who's got a similar company called Curious Invitation. And mm-hmm. about eight years ago now, we got together and we both had this love for putting on events connected with sort of death and that sort of stuff. But we were both, uh, at that time, just intrigued by the fact that London had this wealth of cemeteries. Um, You know, there's the Magnificent Seven, you know, which we know, of course, Brompton, Highgate, Nunhead, uh, West Norwood, Abney Park, Tower Hamlets. did I say Highgate? And uh, Kensal Green. but also there's myriad small cemeteries. But we were very interested in the fact that they, the Victorians regarded them as great gardens of sleep, little bits of heaven on earth, um, and that there were these wonderful underused uh, green lungs in the middle of the city. And a lot of us at that time, including me, were uncertain about whether we should go in cemeteries unless we were attending a funeral. Mm -hmm. Um, Whereas in fact, the opposite is true, is that, you know, they are resources for Londoners, for all of us. So we decided, Suzette and I, to to start doing events in cemeteries. Uh, And then London Month of the Dead came out, obviously based on Mexican Day of the Dead, and it's a whole month of events, um, which has been running for eight years now. Uh, during October, which is walks, talks, you know, sort of visits to strange parts of the city, uh, theatrical events, storytelling, done work with Vanessa mm. and George, uh, London Dreamtime, and, um, you know, many of those events took place in Brompton Cemetery and Kensal Green and, and other places, yeah, and it's become a kind of part of the London cultural calendar now, Last year, we, we had to take much of it online because of COVID, but we did manage to do some stuff in Kensal Green Cemetery, some live oh, yeah. stuff, and we'll be back this year, we're definitely going to be doing some uh, st- back in the flesh, back in the bone, right. we're going to be doing yeah. stuff in October uh, in Kensal Green, hopefully in Brompton and Highgate. And um, yeah, so it's really, you know, you know this because of what, you know, your interests and what you do and, and, and stuff is that the London cemeteries are this, uh, these extraordinary places fields of stories that's the way i see them right every tombstone like the last page in the last chapter of the book of someone's life you know uh maybe and, and not like, even the last <laughs> oh, maybe not <laughs> even the last yeah yeah there's just, maybe that maybe maybe the, maybe this is a sequel to come so <laughs> you know um we're yeah. surrounded by memories surrounded by myths um and the, you know what better place to experience that than in the cemeteries
0: that's right yeah uh i just wanted to ask you 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 just explained a bit of your experience in in Clerkenwell and yeah basically how you became the Clarkenwell kid and uh, but have you always kind of been a london historian or did this come from then on basically or have you always been interested in history
1: i don't i mean i was kind of vaguely interested in london history until this event happened when i kind of you know uh, this mm. kind of this sort of psychic explosion, <clears throat> this epiphany sort of thing, and what happened was, is that it, on a very visceral level, um, the city feels came alive, and it's I, I, when it did, I recognised that when the way that William Blake talks about the mm. city, the way that Michael Morcock talks about the city, um, <clears throat> you know, it became animated in some way, which sounds very odd uh, uh, in a way, but it's almost as though the concrete and uh, you know, became significant the the oh, asphalt yeah. and the concrete, the gargoyles and the corners of buildings yeah. became. You know, everybody knows this, right? In, in, a, in a little way. I mean, if you live in if live in London, you know, we've probably all got this. There's a, you know, maybe there's a bench in Soho Square where you snogged somebody. Maybe there's a corner at the edge on the edge of uh, uh, Bethnal Green where you threw up after a, <laughs> after a party. Yeah. You know what I mean? You've got certain associations with the number fifty seven bus. Absolutely. you know you've got yeah, yeah. these kind of romantic life associations with bits and pieces of the of, of the urban landscape right so it was I, I had an experience like that in a very intense way and that's what got me interested in london's history yeah and in also in kind of you know trying to bring it out more yes yeah. and what is history but, but but the imagination of the past you know
0: yeah right and yeah as, as you just said i mean if if you then a bit or deep dive into it, and then you find out about these people like William Blake, Michael Moore Cook, and then you of course there's Peter Ackroyd and Ian Sinclair, whom you've met, who's also one of the the great not only writers but but he's yeah psycho, psychogeographer also. So there's there's this this wonderful yeah also again this continuity <laughs> of of people who 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 experience the city this way and can can. Uh, uh narrated and, and and can can pass yeah. it on to other people well, i mean i,
1: I mean Ackroyd talks about cockney visionaries doesn't he so yeah. he talks he sees you know he people he sees people like blake and milton and you know even ts Elliot and you know it's part of this kind of tradition of uh of you know cockney visionaries not ts Elliot immigrant obviously um again and then so you know and yeah. um, you know uh, Sinclair talks about you know London devils he I think he's he calls them and of course in, in, what's interesting about Ian is is that he I think more so than than Aykroyd um, has uh, explored the city on foot mm. so he's a great perambulator uh, also he tends to go for places like liminal zones you know the parts of maybe are more unloved parts of the mm. city. Ackroyd Ackroyd has tended to be, you know, rather Dickensian in his choice yeah. of uh, of places, whereas uh, Ian Sinclair has gone for the kind of you know the 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 Ballardian version mm. of London. You know the uh, the in between zones, the the North Circular. Yeah. Um, you know the kind of abandoned service stations and the bits of Hackney in, in between. You know before they put the Olympic Park there and, and I think that's also interesting isn't it it's not just the kind of it's not just this kind of heritage version of the city uh where we look at kind of a rosy rose-colored spectacles uh into this kind of imagined 19th century past but mm-hmm. that it's also the city is the city of the of the of the plastic cup blowing on the wind and the kind of the crumbling buildings the the graffiti yeah. Yeah, um, you know the abandoned shopping trolley as well.
0: That's right. Yeah, and I, I also just think um, that, yeah, it's it's exactly the, this combination. At least for for me, and this is again in the tradition of, yeah, these 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 writers, that um, I think literature and walking, these two things are the best way to experience uh, London, especially in combination. But of course, also each in its way. But you you need this combination uh, to to understand London, if if you like. I think for me, uh, anyway, it is.
1: So. Yeah, I mean, do you, so are you a walker? I mean, is do, do you you like, you walk the city? Yeah. Yeah. Because I mean, for me, that's certainly uh, the way I love to experience London. And what's been great, there's been many sad things about lockdown, right? Okay, um, and I'm not minimising how difficult that's been, but mm-hmm. there's been some of the upsides of it. Has been <clears throat> uh, less crowds, less people, and less traffic, and certainly yeah. in the centre. It's actually great for walking it's you know i mean apart from the fact that you don't have to tangle with other people yeah um you know it, it sort of encourages you to walk when when that when um i mentioned earlier about this thing about i bluffed my way into persuading thames water to mm-hmm. send me down the sewer what actually happened was is that um when they agreed i got this message on my answer machine and it said something like uh mr Coates, you know we did it we've we've had your repeated correspondence or something, and we've, you know, if you turn up at um, the uh, pumping station in Hackney Wick at, I think, 5.30 in the morning on Tuesday, uh, there'll be a team of people who will take you to see the Fleet Sewer, as they called it, right? Um, and I was so excited that I, and I was an in Insomniac anyway, <laughs> and so I set off from my flat in Labbrook Grove and I walked to Hackney Wick.
0: Oh wow!
1: Through, through the night to yeah. get there at 5 30 in the morning I, I mean I'm, I probably set off at about one o'clock or something yeah. and just walked there yeah uh, and that was part of the the sort of epic thing for me was was to was to walk across north London
0: yeah <laughs> and I, I started,
1: started me off on those kind of nocturnal rambles and uh, of course Dickens was was a great walker wasn't he and, uh, and Blake and um and obviously Saint Sinclair's carried that on and uh not i'm not recommending people walk through Elephant and Castle in the middle of the night but um <laughs> <laughs> but i'm sure vanessa does vanessa's a big walker isn 't she
0: yeah right she 's also a walker yeah so uh do is there anything like the the most uh, surprising story or fact that you 've learned uh, about london in in your career or where you say this is the new, such an extraordinary story or part of history or
1: I think, I think that when it comes to, there isn't like one story that really sticks Mm. out for me. Um, But I think that some of the other stories that I've, I've myself have been interested in, in more recently. um, And I, I made a piece about the Henry Welby, the Hermit of Grub Street.
0: Yeah, I saw that on um, SoundCloud. Hmm?
1: Yeah, that's a great story, I think, um, because it's again, it's a mystery. And I think that London has got those myriad stories um, of the Brompton Time Machine, you know, or or, or the Hermit of Grub Street, um, where these are stories where there are facts and there are fables. um, And when you examine the facts, so the the facts of of Henry Welby's story what what happened with me is when I investigated his story is that the facts didn't stand up
0: Mm.
1: you know the 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 story of his life that's written in history doesn't make sense you know Um, and in fact there's an opening in his story Uh, I won't go into it now people can check it out if they want Uh, there's an opening in his story which allows the fable to come through so Mm. I'm interested in that um, I'm thinking, uh, the, if you really want to kind of be fascinated by London's history, I think that, you know, and there's, there are many books about it now, um, you know, is the, is, the, the, is, the, is the material around the dead in London, you know. Yeah. Where are they? They're in the cemeteries, sure, but a lot of them are beneath our feet. Um, I'm always intrigued by this fact that the modern city is 15 feet above the roman city yeah i've asked many academics about this it's like what is it what's what's this what's in this 15 feet of stuff? right yeah. well there's a lot of rubbish but there's a lot of dead people yeah you know we, we we walk on we walk on skeletons we walk on bones and um one of the most interesting people that i know in london is Yelena becklevac and she's the curator of osteology at the museum of london Mm-hmm. She's a friend of ours. She's given many talks for us, and she, uh, you know, the Museum of London at the moment—it's in that strange rotunda, round thing in the middle of that roundabout in um, mm-hmm. uh, near St. Paul's. Well, she works in that round thing, right? That's where her laboratory is, and I think she's got twenty thousand Londoners in there with her—dead Londoners. Yeah, they're all in shoeboxes, basically. So they've they've just got the, the bones in, in a box and they're all kind of labeled up i mean yeah. many of them they don't know who they are obviously they it's not like they got like Philip in there with mm. your dates it's they're anonymous people yeah but she's joined by dead londoners and she's terrific for uh talking about stories of the city because yeah. she sees the city through the city's bones yeah and she is she can tell you all sorts of things about some fairly famous dead people that even their wives didn't know. Right? <laughs> yeah. Because she can see what they were up to. Yeah.
0: Yeah.
1: Because it's written in their bone. Yeah. That's um, so she can tell all sorts of stuff about their diet, their, their 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 secrets, you know. Um, and uh that's a great story. That's a terrific story, you know, the story of the of the dead land of dead Londoners, yeah.
0: Definitely, yeah. And uh, I, I think I've seen her in, in a documentary, or even more than one. But yeah, I, I've i I I know the name, and I know I've I've seen her uh, picking out uh, the shoe boxes and presenting a, a skeleton to, to the to the whole. One of the
1: best thing. One of the best things we've done with her is, is that um, in the in the underneath St Bride's Church in just a Fleet Street, and St Bride's obviously is the church, Christopher N Church whose whose wedding tower cake. is the is the wedding cake, yeah. So underneath there there's a there's a charnel house which is which is just a room full of, of, of bones. And she's got a little office there. And wow. um she takes us uh London Month of the Dead very small visits. We go there and um she'll lay out a couple of dead Londoners and she'll wow. um she'll talk about them and um I think it's it George Herbert, I think the writer uh, mm-hmm. she's got in there. And she can Great. tell you all sorts of stuff about George Herbert that he <laughs> didn't appear in his biography. But
0: was- <laughs> Great. Okay. That's yeah. That's amazing. But yeah, of course. That's. I mean, if you feel like if you like it or not, London is a, a city of the dead and of 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 death. So uh, it per- makes perfect sense that this is this is also the connection. The dead bodies, the bones. There's there's this. It's all still there, you know. You can go back to Roman times; it's still there. So there's there's this history that we some of us feel more and some less. But this is well, you know,
1: you know, it's interesting, isn't it? Because I mean, it, barely a month goes by, doesn't it, without, without seeing a news report about them finding something in London, yeah. right? Still, you know, yeah. I mean, there's the, there's that amazing woman. I've forgotten her name, but the amazing woman who's the um, you know who scours the banks of the Thames um, for for things that are you know continually washed up from the yeah. past, you know, yeah. historic artifacts. You know they're they're always finding stuff in the city, aren't they? And the excavating stuff. It's like it's 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 still alive. Michael Moorcock told me uh, a wonderful image. is a wonderful image. I mean, if people don't know him, Michael Moorcock is a Rice, he's in his eighties now, he's written—I mean—a ter- terrifying number of books. He—he he became famous for writing fantasy books, but in since the eighties, he's been written written some of the best London books, mm-hmm. *Mother London*, *Whispering Swarm*, etc. <clears throat> and he was telling me about the his first job in London um, when he was—I don't know, you know, 17, 18 or something. I'm not sure. Anyway, he had a job in the city, and his job uh, was as in the square mile. Mm-hmm. Um, financial districts and his job was t- like a kind of courier to take documents to other places in Soho or what, whatever you know obviously this is in the years before uh, email and, and fax <laughs> and all that yeah. um, and so he would walk between the city and the west end and um, he, he told me about this the, the, this walk and this was very influential on him because that journey from uh, the city maybe say down the fleet street or down the strand you know into the west end He said at that time, this is post-war, right? So there'd been a huge amount of damage, uh, Mm. war damage. Um, And he said it was this dream landscape where he was walking through it and you had like bits of the Roman city, bits of the Renaissance city, bits of 19th century and bits of the early 20th century peeking through. Mm The holes in the yeah. fabric of other buildings it was like he was walking through this this three-dimensional historical collage of the yeah. city yeah uh, and and London st- even though it's been you know through property development and uh, uh, and all that stuff it's been kind of sanitized in some way is that I still feel that in the city I mean I think you probably do as well it's this composite this palimpsest yeah of different eras of different times of different stories they're all kind of like still there somehow, absolutely. and some streets in the city, even some even some streets that you know quite boring streets like Milton Milton Street, which was Grub Street. You know, if you've got mm-hmm. the right imagination, you you can read a street sign and it's a it's like a hint about the past, or you see a little bit of ghost sign written, yeah. you know, some, some Victorian shop or something, right? Yeah, you know, or or there's a bollard which is like that's weird, what you know, and it's, it's <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. Uh, I, you know i love that
0: me too yeah and that's the uh, the thing i mean you just said it with the uh, so so basically this is why why sometimes it feels as if there's no or that the, the, yeah time has different rules in london because all the times are are there at the same time if you like if you want to break it down maybe that's yeah, what yeah that's it all,
1: all the time all the times are there at the same time yeah
0: yeah, yeah. yeah. And it's this one, this one place. Where would you want to, uh, or would you travel in time, <laughs> if you could? In the city. Yeah, maybe even in general. Not even. Oh right, general.
1: I would. I would go to the future. Okay. Uh, uh, yeah, I mean, I. I mean, it's not that the past isn't interesting, but I think that we can sort of find out quite a lot about the past already. So, for me, the the, the if when when we get the Brompton time machine working, <laughs> um, next um, week. You know, my, my <laughs> My intention is to go into the f- far into the future. That's what I'm I'm sort of a bit. See, I'm a bit miffed, Philip, that, mm. that um, you know, we're not going to f- find out what's going to go on in the next hundred years. You know, uh, years. I met the I met Aubrey de Grey and Aubrey de Grey is one of these um, He's part of this new generation of scientists who are interested in life extension. Right. Mm. He runs an organization called Sense. He's a, he's a very strange guy uh but he's one of the scientists who's who's involved in, in 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 developing you know extending human life and he says there are people around now kids around now who live to be 500 yeah well i'm jealous of those kids because it's like i want to be 500 not, not because i really commend it because i want to see what london's going to be like in 500 years time will it be there right you know will it be some yeah. sort of like star trek with with 500 stories? High buildings? Will it be flattened? Will there have been some eco disaster? You know, would, maybe uh, yeah you know. I mean, that's where I. If I had a time machine, that's where I'd go and see what the what London's going to be like in the five thousandth yeah. millennium. Is.
0: Who, who knows if, if if you don't talk to me from the future, there would also. Who knows? Who
1: exactly. Knows? Exactly. Yeah. Well, don't forget. I mean, of course, in HG Wells, it's a, a time machine. I mean, it's in, he's in, he doesn't move anywhere. Does he? He's in London right the whole time. <laughs> yeah
0: yeah right yeah but yeah I, this yeah i i'm not cre- i'm not really sure where i want would want to travel well, uh, tell me I,
1: come when you I mean, give me give me give me your top three then if you were uh, if you were going to travel in time sorry give me your top three times that you would go to
0: well my t- I, i'd definitely love to see um late victorian london i'd, I'd love to see that and, and especially i mean one of my entries into london history when i was a teenager was was the jack the ripper story right. so I'm, I'm still interested in in this area and in the time in, in the in, in the era and and i'd love to to just walk these streets during that time and, and experience the place um back then um, let me think my top three well that's one um, i i think i would also like to to visit roman london i mean maybe even roman roman times not even especially in london just to to see how it really was if it really was like we 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 imagine it to be or, or we think it was hmm what else let me think i'm not i'm not that much of a big fan from the middle ages or anything like that difficult difficult
1: well, London, London sort of kind of disappeared a little bit, certainly the Dark Ages. Dark Ages. Mm-hmm. But what, what what I've always thought would be would have been a, a fascinating thing, is roundabout. Obviously, the Romans left in the sort of fifth century, didn't they? Um, and maybe what would have been this interperiod. What, yeah, what would have been very very strange mm-hmm. is say a hundred years after they'd gone, one hundred and fifty yeah. years after, they'd gone, <clears> when <throat> yeah. you know written records didn't exist would died out and it didn't exist what would it have been like to have come upon the ruins of londonium yeah uh, you know because for the people at that time because they had no continuity of media you know mm. written records or p- people in the dark ages wouldn't have been able to read or write anyway they would have no context for understanding what it was and they would be seeing buildings which they would not. The technology of which would be yeah. completely mysterious to them. They would be buildings that they could never build themselves. Yeah, it would be like becoming on a lost world of giants yeah. or something. Yeah. you know. Yeah. I mean, it would have been deeply, deeply strange. And I think to what the the, the ruins of Londinium Lund- would have been a fascinating, terrifying place to visit. I think.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. I agree with that. Yeah, that would be that would be would have been very interesting. Uh, i i just love this story and you know there's the the roman bathhouse in billingsgate and um they 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 found a brooch there right a brooch from from a from an anglo saxon woman so there's this you, you know she 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 clambered up climbed up upon these these ruins and and it just dropped it and it, it's it you know mm. there's again this this time and this time and th- this area and this area and then and it's all all on one place and i really liked like that so yeah that would have been a very interesting
1: and what would she have thought you know i mean that's the thing is is that would she have thought this was a city built by gods or yeah what or what would or strange beings i mean like it it would be very it would be amazing to know what her perception Mm. of what that was right
0: yeah that would be you know talk to her and 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 just ask what do you think what 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 is that (laughs) Where did, it, did, it, uh, did it come from who built this yeah, yeah.
1: absolutely amazing yeah absolutely yeah. i
0: agree yeah so yeah let me know if you if you uh, ever get to travel to future uh let me know then we can have a, tell you. I can uh, come back and
1: change this conversation hmm? I can come back and ch- butt into our conversation
0: oh yeah that that would be <laughs> we i should edit the video this way <laughs> <laughs> Maybe, maybe. Let me think about it. I'll come back to you if I, if okay. I really want to do that.
1: Come back in a different set of clothes.
0: Yeah. So, Stephen, do you have a favourite place in London? Is it Clerkenwell or is it something is there, like one? Yeah, I
1: think, I think as as a district, Clerkenwell still is my favourite place. You know, and um, and I've got so many uh, memories of Clerkenwell, I suppose. And it's changing. You know, like, I mean, the city changes, and that's good. That's good. You know, as well, isn't it? Um, and you know Leather Lane Market in Clerkenwell. Clarkham, um still still a, a, a lovely London market. I mean, London markets are a sort of highlight, aren't they? You know, and they've um, mm. not. I mean, uh, Leather Lane's it's getting a bit shishy. You know, it's getting a little bit shishy uh, these days. It used to be just this very ordinary street market. You know, um, I think when the guy who's got the stall who sells the previous month's magazines for a pound goes then you know we've got a problem i think because <laughs> he's been there forever uh, and that was a great business because it's like you know with magazines like wallpaper or l decoration or you know or even like men's fitness right <laughs> it doesn't, matter, it doesn't matter whether it's like march or april it's still an article on how to get s- a six pack right yeah so his, his business selling previous month's magazines for a quid, I thought that was a great business. Yeah. Uh, and um, there's, I noticed there's been quite a bit of street foods appeared on Leather Lane in recent years, but um, uh, uh, which is always a sign, of bad sign, I think. I like the street food, but it's always a sign that things are getting a bit hipstery. Yeah. So Leather Lane, Market, Leather Lane Market, I recommend to people when, when we're back open again. It's got one of my favourite shops at the top of it, which is International Magic. Um, it's one of London's... Two or three dedicated magic stores um it's really small uh, and it's been there forever you can in the old days i don't know what is still true they might be cross if i said this but in the old days um you could go in there and just ask them to do a trick cool. so when i was when i was skint, um i would um, or in the times i was skint, i would go to the eat all you like thai vegetarian place on leather lane uh, and then I would go to International Magic and ask one of the guys there to do a trick on me. Free entertainment is great.
0: Yeah, great. Maybe, maybe they, even if they didn't do it, maybe they'll start again after you said that. Maybe they think they're <laughs> Now, now people but, come in <laughs> and ask for tricks yeah. again.
1: I think they get bit, they, and the reason I'm a bit probably to say is they, probably get, they do actually want people to buy stuff mm. as, as well rather than just come in and sort of, you know. But um, uh, they, they, I don't know whether they still do. It's a tiny shop, but they used to have a, a first floor room where they they, they have magic lessons. Uh, so, I mean, you know, what do you want? You know, go and get magic lessons in Clerkenwell. <laughs> yeah.
0: Well, yeah. What do you want? <laughs> right. Yeah.
1: Well, you want blood? <laughs>
0: right. Um So, uh, what are your your next projects, Stephen? What can we expect from you in the in the future if we if we're on that uh, track now? <laughs>
1: right. Well. Um, so yeah, Bone Music um, is the book. It's coming out at the end of the year. Um, the Real Tuesday World are f- releasing their final three records. I don't know when this is going to go out, but the first one, Blood, is out in May. Mm-hmm. Another one at the end of the year um we've got london month of the dead is going to happen in october um londonmonthofthedead.com for that we've also launched something called uh, london city of the dead which is an ongoing uh it's a bit like month of the dead but we do something every month so we have a a a talk every month Mm -hmm. we've just uh issued some maps with audio tours so you can uh uh, because of covid and stuff that you could Mm -hmm. you can take your own tour of some of the cemeteries Oh, yeah. Um and like lost hospitals of London, you can get a you get a paper map and a an audio tour. Um that's that's going on. And um yeah, I mean I think that's it really for this year. That's sort of plenty somehow. And um right. you know, just hoping like everybody is, I suppose, that we can get back in meet, you know, this is wonderful. And thank you by the way for inviting me mm. to have this conversation. You, yeah. I appreciate it. Um but uh, it would be great to be able to have do more stuff, you know. In Absolutely. The same space, as people, as each other, and uh, and that. So we're hoping that you know,
0: yeah. vaccines and COVID,
1: allowing that people are going to be okay with being together again.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. We do. definitely. Yeah, me too. Uh, I always finish my talks with the last question, which for some people is a bit more difficult to answer than for others. But maybe I think I think you you'll find you'll find it quite easy. Um, can you name three Londoners from throughout history, living or dead, that you would love love to have dinner or a drink with?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Right. That's a great question. So let us go back in time to a great Londoner who would love to have a drink with. Um, which also well, includes
0: on, sorry. Sorry, which also includes people that weren't born in London, because you know, people say Shakespeare or Dickens or you know, again, <laughs> these people who are considered Londoners, but came from the outside so
1: yeah right okay well I'm in that case I'm going to steal one of yours then in that case to start off with I'm going to say the Anglo-Saxon woman that you <laughs> uh, who lost lost her brooch in the bath, Roman bath at Billingsgate because let's call her a Londoner even though she's yeah. Anglo-Saxon and came into the city for the reasons that we've already discussed is that what would that have been like for her that would be a fascinating conversation so I could have, I'd love to have a cup of mead with with her,
0: it would turn into a romantic relationship then
1: <laughs> well possibly if she's anglo Saxon it might be quite terrifying <laughs> um, uh, so that would be great. I think in the <clears throat> if we go sort of zoom forward to the uh, you know later period eighteenth to nineteenth it would have to be Blake for me, yeah for me too Blake. you know, yeah. want to go for a walk, a long walk from Hampstead Heath down to Lambeth
0: yeah yeah,
1: with Blake um. Maybe, maybe sort of young Blake, <clears throat> young Blake. Mm. Um, and then, sort of, of this century, I think probably um, I would want to choose somebody from an era, maybe like Co- Colin McInnes, one of those kind of 1950s, absolute beginner era, sort of 50s writers and stuff, mm. you know, to uh, uh, kind of not Kingsley Amis because he was such an asshole, but. Um, <laughs> Somebody from that era, you know, um, yeah, maybe Keith Waterhouse, one of those kind of Londoners, uh, sort of nineteen fifties city. So then to sort of go into Soho, you know, in one of those kind of Italian coffee places in Soho, yeah, or you know, where there was heavy drinking going on with Maltese <laughs> people here and, you know, and Italians there and French people there, and that whole Soho of the fifties, yeah, to, to to go out for and spend an evening getting drunk with one of those people, yeah.
0: Oh yeah. That would be amazing yeah yeah great choice thank you Stephen. Uh, i'll note them down I'm, I'm i'm collecting all these names and then then one day i'm gonna gonna publish the list and maybe i'm gonna do the who got the most votes and <laughs> great <laughs> well maybe we'll see but one day i'm gonna i'm gonna publish all of yeah. the names
1: yeah. yeah yeah one of the one i'll just finish one, one of the we can just quickly jump it in there quick was that one of the most fun things in the last couple of years actually we did in terms of the events we did is that we got Norman, who used for many years, Norman Ballon, who was the landlord of the Coaching Horses in Soho. Oh yeah. We,
0: mm-hmm. he,
1: he retired a few years ago, but he's very old now. We managed to persuade him out for a kind of Q&A session. And it was terrific to hear him talking about Soho because he oh, was yeah. there for all that. He's, 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 his parents ran that pub, right? So he's been a landlord all that time. And, and he said something which I thought was was really good because when the interviewer was asking him about Soho and moaning about the fact that Soho's changed and mm. you know it's all been <laughs> kind of corporatized and stuff like that, and his his answer, typically robust Norman answer, was bollocks. <laughs> um, <laughs> you know that cities change, cities need to change. Right. That nothing to be sentimental about Soho. You know people have always been nostalgic about Soho, and all everybody who's come to London, including me, maybe including you. They're always nostalgic about the Soho that, that they first encountered. And the right. reason is because they're nostalgic about the person that they were at that time, right? You came right. to London, you went out in Soho, it was incredibly exciting. Maybe you had a romantic encounter, maybe you had some romantic tragedy, maybe you met some people, whatever it was. You fell in love with the city, you fell in love with uh, uh, this stuff then. That's what you're nostalgic for right the fact that soho is changing you know physically or you know in terms of the businesses and buildings and stuff yeah. like that it's, it's always done that there's right. nothing to nothing to uh, to mourn in that right.
0: what a what a great answer but yeah the, and then again uh, what we just had you know if if you if you're open to these things and if you have you know if if you're, if you're a bit aware of the history then you can you can walk certain streets and pick out pick out the era that you like and and watch for the for the signs and symbols that will that will take you back to 18th century or, or whatever era you, you you want to you want to experience now. so it is all there if you, if you like it's, it's still there.
1: there it's still there
0: yeah and the city needs to change right yeah that's that's the thing otherwise it is,
1: be, it is you know yeah. as michael moorcox you know talks about it the city this is the city of the, the way that daniel defoe talked about it the way that dickens talked about it the uh, the way that um you know moorcock the city london is a, a creature yeah <laughs> it's a being it's a process yeah you know you could say it's the cross-section of all the journeys that have ever been taken there yep, yep. you know it's an organic evolving thing um you know rather than uh, something which is kind of a stiff
0: right it, yeah
1: fixed piece of of architecture yeah know. the city is a, a creature
0: Right, I absolutely agree. I had I also had a talk with uh, Robert Robert Kingham, whom I think you also know from Minimum Labyrinth, and uh, he he did this this documentary a couple of years ago about pagan London, which you hmm. probably also know. A
1: great, great little film, yeah.
0: Yeah, right. And um, we 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 uh, talked about the idea. Yeah, right. That that uh, uh, London is a a living creature um and, and in this case because we talked about pagan london if it's a a, a god or a, or a goddess so is it male or is it female and for him it was male and i thought no I, for me personally I, I would say london is female but i i don't really know if of course there's not a definite answer but maybe what's what's your opinion about it
1: yeah that's a that's a that's a great question i think instinctually i would say that i think london's female but mm. i mean what's that based on i don't know i mean you know more mm. call, calls it mother london mm. Um
0: and Father Thames.
1: T- t- Mother London and Father Thames. Yeah. Yeah. I mean that's it. I suppose that's it. So I I London's got a female aspect to it for me. My friend, my great friend Glenn Duncan, um, who's a writer and mm-hmm. um, you know, uh, old friend of my novelist, and he he said some great things about London, some great in his what in his in his novels. Um and one of the things he says, which is always wrong true for me, is is that I'll paraphrase him here, but he says, "You turn up, and this is this applies to us latecomers to London, right? You turn up with all your little problems, <laughs> all your obsessions, and all your issues, all your contradictions, and all your kind of uh, big dramas. London has seen it all before. Oh yes, right. There's nothing that you can present to the city that is not already here." and of course in some ways that at times can feel very alienating Mm. and isolating and at other times it's a great relief oh yes because you know you can you can walk here and you can the the great attraction of the city has always been for all people i think that you can kind of be yourself in london
0: definitely yeah yeah absolutely but yeah
1: It it can accommodate everything including weirdness (laughs) <laughs> including difference you know and that's why it's always been the home for I- immigrants and incomers and latecomers, and that's why you probably feel at home in London and when I arrived in London you know my first feeling was
0: <sighs> <laughs> yeah yeah absolutely right yeah that's he's he's absolutely absolutely right about about that yeah uh, okay i think we could talk on for hours and i had something in the back of my mind but i forgot but it, if it comes back i'm gonna i'm gonna text you <laughs> because uh Good. yeah so thank you very much Stephen, for this wonderful conversation i think as i said i think we could talk for hours but maybe we'll do another episode in the future who knows uh i will put a link to all of your projects and websites into the description of the talk and uh yeah thank you very much Stephen, Stephen, yeah. the Thank you.
1: Thank, <laughs> you, thank you, and I really appreciate the opportunity to to talk on your your program. It's great what you're doing, actually. I love that, and I think also thank it's you. just it's a pleasure to talk and think about the city. And
0: yeah, um, really
1: yeah. Keep keep it up. Keep going. Thank you very much.